Hello and welcome to this latest podcast from the University of Leeds. I'm Friday Cordingly, the Deputy Director of Communications, and I'm with Simone Boytendijk, our Vice-Chancellor. We'll be discussing Simone's most recent blog, and it's an issue that affects all of us on campus. What's the purpose of a university education, particularly in an age of lifelong learning? Simone argues that for some students and academics, university education is still viewed as a transmission of facts and assessments to test whether those facts have been learned. The problem with that, she says, is most people do not retain facts and employers want a different set of skills. They're after people who can work in a team, can collaborate, and we need to teach our students that learning never stops. The solution, she believes, is to train students to acquire knowledge, but also to solve problems through a process of active learning, getting students to actively engage with a subject to really learn. Simone, hello and welcome. Hi, Friday. Simone, can we just start? Can you just explain to me a little bit more about active learning and and what it is? Yeah, active learning is a way for students to actually work with the facts because you rightfully said people, students are people, um, don't retain facts. Um, It's not that people can never retain facts, but they can't retain them if they're not using them. If they don't, if the facts don't become part of a, a way of thinking around problem solving, if they don't actually apply them. Uh, to real life problems. So if, if you just remember facts long enough to pass your exams um, and you don't really do anything with them, they'll disappear within 48 hours. Most people have forgotten, um, I think, 70% or something like that of the materials that they remembered um, to pass their exams, sometimes with really good results. Um, so if we want people to work with the knowledge, and of course, facts are important. Um, we need facts. We need evidence-based facts um, to build on. But we can't just expect that people understand how to apply the facts or how to, and, and we can't expect them to remember them if we don't give them opportunities to actually think about them and, and think about them in the context of real-world problems. And that's where active learning comes in. Um, so if you if you imagine a lecture theater where if you do it sort of in the old fashioned way, students are um, sitting side by side facing the lecturer who is um, presenting facts on the PowerPoint slide deck or sometimes literally still with their back to the students scribbling on the, on the blackboard mathematical formulas or something else that they're trying to explain. And then students take down those facts in their notebooks. Um, that's sort of the, the old fashioned way of lecturing. And if you do it really well as a lecturer, it can be very entertaining and students can feel good about themselves and their learning. But they won't be able to really do much with the facts. And if you then think about a more active learning um, environment, it could still be in a, in a real lecture theater. It, it's nicer to have flat floor space and tables where students can sit around and be even more interactive. But students could also work together in pairs And the lecturer could, after 10 minutes of explaining facts, could put up a question and then say, okay, which one of those five outcomes do you think is the right one? Discuss. And then students could talk to each other in pairs or in three or depending on the layout of the lecture theater as well. So more modern ones have these semi-circular benches where students can work together in groups of four or five. And then amongst themselves, they start thinking about the particular uh, problem and the right answer to the question. And there are loads and loads of, of really good effects of that. One of them is 
that students often understand each other's level of knowledge better. So if one of the five understands a little bit more than the other four, they're still quite at the same level of their brain process. And the teacher who's been working in that field for many years, even if they're brilliant at explaining things, often doesn't quite understand what students don't understand. So having groups of students or pairs work on the problem together and then using clickers, for instance, but you could also do it with a piece of paper or holding up your hand um, to provide the teacher with the right answers. They have worked together. The teacher will also know which students actually do get the right answer and which not. He or she can then explain a bit more and then pose the same question or a different question. And that way, students really work together like they would do in real life, where they also work with peers on real life problems. And that we know from really good research enables them to actually retain the facts that are the foundation of the questions and the problems they're working with. And it takes them to a completely different level of understanding. And the more you do that and the more you actually have to apply those facts in, in real life situations, um, the more sustainable the learning is. And also the more it looks like the real workplace. Great. Thank you. Um, and I'm, I'm intrigued to know, because um, that, that was a really engaging um, introduction to active learning. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm intrigued to know if there are any places that you've come across where you think, oh, that's just a, a fantastic example of where this is happening in practice. Yeah, interestingly enough, in every university, there are teachers who are doing this just because they figured out it's so much more fun because they read or heard about it or visited colleagues who were teaching like this and they're already doing it. Um, it's because of the COVID pandemic that we haven't really had a lot of in-person teaching and I haven't been able to visit any, any situations, but I'm sure at the University of Leeds there are people who are teaching like this. Um, but they're off, it's often not part of a major program where we're thinking about how to transform all our education. Um, so I've been in other universities that have done this at a larger scale. Um, and one example, it's interesting because it was in a very old fashioned lecture theater was at the University of British Columbia, probably about five years ago. Um, there was a gigantic lecture theater, which holds about 300 students. And they didn't have to sit one and a half meters apart at the time. That helped. Um, so the lecture was in front like you, you would otherwise. Um, and it was a woman. She was teaching for like 10 minutes um, each. And it was completely silent as she was explaining things and going through concepts. I think it was a biology undergraduate course. And then she would ask a question and ask students to turn to each other and work in pairs. And the noise level was just unbelievable because everybody started talking and gesticulating and they weren't really whispering and it was fine. It was no problem. And there were quite a few uh, teaching assistants walking around. And so students could actually hold up their hand and ask one of the teaching assistants to help them. And then after like five minutes, they were asked to be quiet again, use their clickers um, to to um, give the right answers and then the teacher would show the distribution of right answers and then go into the materials again and explain it and, and explain what she thought was the right answer. And sometimes, interestingly, there wasn't one right answer. There were different ways of coming at the problem. And it also explains to students that there isn't always, you know, like a multiple choice, this is the right answer for everything and type of solution. But the engagement level of the students was just amazing. And it was very clear that they really loved it. 
And actually, my colleague and I, both visiting, uh, we went around afterwards and spoke to students in that class. And they said they loved it and they never wanted to go back to being front facing quiet for 45 minutes. And incidentally, the teachers also love it because they can walk around literally and stand close to groups of students working on a problem and the connection, both psychological, but also almost in in a physical sense. Uh, was so much more felt. So teachers who teach a lot of their lectures like this, they're also much happier than when they just go through their 35 PowerPoint slides and hope for the best. And they often won't know what students didn't understand until the results of the assessment come back in. It's um, it's reminding me, as you speak, it's reminding me a little bit, my, my other half's a a teacher and it's reminding me a bit of how how teaching in school I I think we may be more familiar with it in that format I'm just intrigued to know if there's any lessons that we can learn from that environment as well yeah it's it's fascinating actually how there's much more research in primary and secondary education and how those uh, school environments have changed a lot more than the average university education environment um, so so th- when I was in primary school, uh, we were being taught like a lot of students are still being taught. We had to be quiet, you had to sit down for endless amounts of time. Um, it was actually really difficult to concentrate. We had these tests that we did individually. Uh, we were graded like crazy. Um, yeah, and, and that was how it was back then. But I think most primary and secondary school uh, environments have changed quite a bit. And I think it's also the, the value of the group work. It's not just the fact that individual students engage with the material. It's learning that working together is a lot of fun. And it's actually really, really great if you understand something just a little bit ahead of everybody else, that you can then help them understand it and explain it to them. And as we know as teachers, explaining concepts makes you learn um, a lot better than when you don't have to explain them. So it, it's that, that interaction in all kinds of different directions that makes teaching more effective, but also a lot more enjoyable. Interesting. Thank you. And you mentioned research. Is there, is there much research out there that, that, that tells us about the benefits of active learning? Yeah, there's quite a bit. And it's mostly from the US. Uh, that's where it all started, North America. Um, but it's probably about 15 years ago now that this whole movement uh, took off in earnest. And there are hundreds of papers showing that active learning has superior outcomes to more traditional uh, fact-based, lecture-based teaching. And it almost doesn't matter um, who does it. So even junior lecturers who miss the charisma of the older ones who know how to hold the room and make a 45-minute lecture is something really exciting and wonderful. So people who can't necessarily do that still have great outcomes with more interactive teaching because it's really about the content and not so much about the charismatic delivery. And that's something we often forget too. It can be quite daunting when you're a postdoc or, or an assistant or associate professor in the early stages of your career to be teaching lecture style And it's really not that easy and people are more shy or for all kinds of reasons don't thrive in that kind of environment, can be put off of teaching. And if they have the opportunity to do it differently, um, they'll enjoy it a lot more. 
So yeah, I think there there's I know there's a mountain of evidence. So basically, the people who've been involved in this for that period of time or shorter, um, they will say active learning is absolutely superior, and it basically now is about what types of active learning, digitally enhanced, how large do you make the groups, how do you make sure your assessments fit the way you teach, uh, what what modern way of ways of assessing are there. So it really is about version 2.0. So the new research, the research that's being done now, is not so much lecturing versus active learning, because that's, that's past, we know now, but it's more like what types of active learning are there and how can we maximize um, the the beneficial effects. So one area that's now being researched more is how active learning increases a sense of belonging and togetherness and how it how it um, especially benefits students from less traditional backgrounds. Uh, because if you do it well and if as a teacher you're you're very aware of how a group functions, you can bring out backgrounds and, and lived experiences and make them part of the, the communal learning instead of making it a problem that you're from a widening participation background, the first in your family uh, or whatever it is that may in the past have set you apart. You now have something valuable to bring in because it is a group effort. And that too resembles real life, because in real life, we will have to work together with people from different cultural backgrounds, different nationalities, different accents, different political backgrounds, you name it. And if, we, if we're comfortable with that as students and even understand how it actually helps, how it helps the group process, the innovation, the thinking, um, then of course, we're much better positioned after graduation. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, how, how, how are we, I mean, I, I really understand it's, it's, it, you've really brought alive what active learning is and, uh, and I'm just thinking about what do we need in order to get there and how are we supporting colleagues to be able to move towards this, this type of teaching? We shouldn't underestimate how much time and effort it costs to change from the traditional way of teaching, lecturing to doing it like this. Because you really need to think about um, what you want to achieve and the build-up of your modules and all the different ways of doing it. You need to have help with, if you want to use digital technology, you need to practice it because there's nothing worse than being in the classroom and not quite knowing how it all works. Um, so what we're going to do in Leeds is, is make this part of a big strategic effort. And we're going to introduce teaching fellows that will hire into the university or We'll use existing staff to train them to become the teaching fellows who can then help the lecturers to, to do this, to revamp their, their modules, their teaching, their, their classroom methodology. Um, because we, we, we shouldn't underestimate this is, this is something that we need to give people time for and help with. And if you think it through, it can be super effective. And if you don't, um, you may actually make things worse. One one element that we often forget is that we also need to take students with us. This is very different for them. If you've learned how to game the system with no disrespect, but if you've learned in the old way and you've been very successful, which most of our students have been, and then all of a sudden you, you get thrown into this learning environment where there's more uncertainty and there may not be the right answer and you're expected to work with 
with your peers and, and maybe you're graded on your group work instead of your individual papers, etc. That's an entirely different ballgame. And if we don't explain to our students what it means and why we think this is good for them and how it's different from the past, then they won't like it. And we just need to spend time with students, with staff, with our whole organization to get get the maximum benefits of this wave of teaching. And and yeah, we just need to make sure that, that we, we create that space and opportunity and time to do it. And and presumably, just thinking about what you said earlier about you know flat teaching space rather than raked lecture theatres, presumably there's a a um a physical change needed as well to our teaching areas in order to do this yeah exactly if we if we start building lecture spaces i think it would be good not to build them as raked lecture theaters even though you can still use your old-fashioned theaters creatively but of course if you have a choice um, it's much easier much better to to start with the flat floor space and the movable furniture um, and the possibility of using digital technology etc uh, so absolutely, it also has effects on how we use our estate and 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 how we how we create the optimum classroom environment for this kind of working. And I I, I want to um I want to talk to you a little bit more about the the um because you mentioned in your blog that we should be universities should be teaching students in a way that resembles the workplace. Can you can you talk us through a little bit? through that a little bit more and in particular in, in relation to active learning and how that works together? Yeah, I think we, what we should think about is what we're training students for. And if we train them for the workplace, I think we would do well if we make sure that we are mindful of that when they're at university with us. So if we teach students to do test after test after test, if it's very multiple choice, um, then we're not resembling the workplace at all. If we teach them to work in groups and to understand how different cultures can actually add to the group process, how they're, not every problem has one single right answer, how sometimes you have to make mistakes to even understand how to get to the right answer, I think they'll be so much more well positioned by the time they graduate. And we can make sure that they have the digital literacy and the intercultural um, understanding and and the, the problem solving skills and the group working skills that are that employers want because a lot of research intensives they get comments and, and I think it's almost every research intensive from employers who say we love your graduates they're super bright they're wonderful people they're really driven but god it takes us a year or two years before they really understand how we work as a workplace and of course, it's fine to have an internship um, always at the beginning of your, your career. And if learning is lifelong, there's no problem with training on the job. But I think we do leave a slightly too wide a gap between what we teach students at university and what employers would, would like to see. So the more we resemble the kind of thinking and learning that people need when they're graduates, I think the better we will do. And incidentally, it also improves the learning outcomes on all the things that we've been assessing them on in the past. We just need to assess them slightly differently. I always remember a colleague in my previous job who's a medic and is changing medical education and assessments. 
and I would always use as an example, what do you think is going to happen when you're a doctor and a patient comes into your office with a stomach, with a stomach ache? Do you think they're going to say, doctor, I have a stomach ache. What do you think it is? A, an ulcer, B, a carcinoma, C, a bleed, etc. <laughs> and then I always felt that that really brings home the message. Um, and yeah, that's how I was being examined in medical school. And I think there's a little bit less of that, luckily, but it's still, there's still too much of it. And the problem also is with, with multiple choice answers is that we need to find quite extreme situations to, to make sure that there only, there's only one right answer in the group of four or five. And when you make your, your answers more open ended, there's more room for nuance and for variation. And a lot of students are really good at gaming multiple choice answers they sort of know oh it can't be a d is also crazy so yeah they have to choose between b and c and you know, that's the much higher chance of picking the right one without understanding any of it and the same the same colleague actually showed examples of when students have to do things around insulin levels for diabetic patients and how much you need in 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 each injection when they do it in a multiple choice fashion, they're much less likely to go for lethal doses. When you ask them, fill in how much this patient would need, um, a lot of them just have no idea where to even get started. So it, it really has an impact on, on how actual professionals work in a real workplace, how we, how we teach them. And I think it would be nice if, if students in, during their medical studies actually learn how to medicate patients not just in multiple choice answers but in in sort of real life explain why and um, yeah give an answer but also give a little bit more background so so it's really about what what do we think university education is for and i think it is to prepare our graduates for real the real workplace and i think that's what our students want too and i'm i'm thinking about how that because you've talked about medical examples um, and about how that can be applied to perhaps less vocational degrees. For example, if I'm studying English literature, um, how does that active learning process, What? how does that prepare me for perhaps an unknown workplace at the moment? Yeah, thank you for asking that because we often forget and a lot of the active learning actually is has been developed in the STEM fields in the, the more exact sciences. But of course it applies equally to arts and humanities and social sciences. So if, if you are an English literature student and you would work with colleagues, uh, preferably also from other disciplines, um, on for instance, uh, explaining a particular situation to the public or making sure that people understand uh, that they should get vaccinated COVID and your input is that you're a really good writer and you understand how to write for people with different um, different backgrounds, different levels of schooling and you can use the materials that your your peers who are virology students or whatever medical students um, and you work as a group to think about how you would very clearly get those messages to to the public. You could use the skills that you've learned through reading, through writing, through assessing literature, through really understanding um, language and the meaning of language and, and how culture plays into it in, in a setting where people have 
other things that also need to be brought in. Because a lot of arts and humanities graduates are incredibly sought after by tech giants, by um, companies who, yeah, who are, for instance, producing medical devices because the company directors know that their clients on the other end of the production chain who will have all kinds of different levels of, of, of backgrounds and understanding of language and who need to be told about this brilliant product that they need to buy, etc., or how to use it well, um, you name it. This is just one example, but I think also thinking about arts degrees as applicable in pretty much any situation in real life, I think that also helps for students. So active learning, I think, works in, in every situation. And again, it doesn't mean that you don't also need the facts and you need to totally understand what English English literature and English understanding of, of literature and reading and writing, what it's all about. But then to apply it to something real gives that, that completely different layer of, of understanding, but also excitement. And that's that's another thing. When students have a sense of what they want to do after they graduate, they study differently. The students with the poorest outcomes in their studies are the ones who have no clue how they're going to apply it. Mm, okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I come back to, to critical thinking a lot and and, a, and that being a skill that, you know, you, you, it's absolutely a, a lifelong skill, isn't it? Um, I, I, I've got one. We're running short of time, I'm afraid. I could talk to you about this forever. But I've, I've got one final question that I want to ask you, which is, is in relation to, you know, active learning, it involves people actively thinking, discussing, sharing and, and synthesizing their knowledge. How does that work in an online environment? It can actually work brilliantly in an online environment because if you use that well and if you have a good online environment and if you build your teaching, your module uh, from the ground up as um, online, then you can do really neat things like breakout groups where students you know, at a you know, microsecond uh, get put in different virtual rooms. They can work on materials that they have on their screens. They can send it back to the lecture before you can ask them to come back in the plenary. They can use the chat bar, they can use videos. It's, it, the possibilities are endless compared to when you're squeezed into a lecture theater or even a flat floor space with nice, funky, um, bright furniture that's conducive to working together. So actually a lot of this works incredibly well in an online space. And also the element of being able to work with groups of students who are across the globe, who, who may never meet each other, be able to meet each other in real life. So the only thing you then have to work with is the time zone, but that's often something that can be overcome. So actually an online space, if it's used well, if it's thought through, if we use the technology that's available, um, can be an incredibly wonderful way of doing it. And a lot of students still want to meet up for dinner, a cup of coffee or a glass of beer. And that's something we can't do online. At least I don't really like it. <laughs> Not in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> but the actual learning, the actual interaction can be really high quality in an online environment. Simone, I'm, I'm really sad that we've run out of time. This is, I, I, I could ask you about this for hours. It's, I've, I've really enjoyed today. Thank you. Thank you ever so much. Um, it's been great to have you here. 
Thanks for asking all these questions because I love talking about it, as you may have noticed. <laughs> Great. Thank you ever so much. Yeah, see you again soon. Bye, see you soon. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Please look out for further podcasts and follow Simone on Twitter at S.E. Voitendijk. You can also follow the University of Leeds on Twitter at University Leeds.